0: welcome to crunching tackles where we break down the hardest hitting social issues in sports on today's show we're taking a unique look at the coaching landscape in the NFL by comparing some of the most famous coaches to historic military generals so for us nerds out there this is basically the perfect podcast my name is Chad Wiley and with me as always, but this time in lower definition audio is John Nekersov. And John, how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I'm good. It's a it's it's been a disastrous um audio situation over here. But, but disastrous is maybe a little bit exaggerated, but you know, my programs are not working, so it's fine. Um but we are very excited because this really is the ultimate nerd sports history crossover podcast. I don't think we've ever done a nerdier podcast topic in the entire history of this show. And for that, I'm honestly very excited, but we do have some other things to get into uh, a couple, a couple other football things before we, before we get into the weeds of just which historic general is Bill
0: Belichick. And we will answer that question. We We will answer. Absolutely. Yeah. We should start with um, the actual football that's going on um, off and on the field. And first, um, the big news of the week and I guess this is Pro Bowl week, so there isn't you know a, a real slate of NFL games, but right. um, as you know a little bit of deja vu from last year because Tom Brady again took the Pro Bowl week to announce his retirement. or was it Super Bowl week last year? It was I don't is remember, really? but I, don't, I think I it think was it, yeah. I think it was Pro Bowl week, but um, right. to announce that he is retired from the NFL again, um, we did a whole podcast about his retirement last time. And to be quite honest, my opinions haven't changed a whole lot in the last year. So you can just go back and listen to the old one and then just pretend that it was this year. And I kind of feel the same way. But we did want to at least react a little bit and just mention the fact that, again, Tom Brady is the GOAT. He retired. Again, the end of his career was probably not what anyone hoped it would be, least of all him. I'm sure he's... I guess what is different this time is that this was the first year where he just seemed miserable the entire time. Like, he seemed like he was not enjoying playing football. And um, so he retires a year after he retired the first time. um, The way that the season went and his decision to only make it a one-year comeback does kind of give me the sense of, like, well, like, why was any of this happening? All this was kind of pointless and not very interesting. And, like, you could have saved yourself a lot of imaging if you had just stuck to your first retirement. But um, I think that if you put yourself in his shoes, it, it does make sense. I think that he genuinely didn't want to retire and thought that he still had it last year and had to be convinced on the field that he didn't. And I think he was convinced this year as the, the Bucks were thoroughly defeated by the, uh, by the Cowboys, even though Brett Mayer couldn't kick an extra point to save his life in that game. And so it comes to an end. And that's Tom Brady off to presumably the fox studio color commentator booth and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well but uh first reactions john
1: yeah i I think my first impression from him just deciding to do this because you know there were rumors that he was going to keep playing after this year Uh, there were teams that would definitely have wanted him i think i mean it's It was the worst season i was reading a new york times article kind of like looking at looking back at what this year was for him and from a football perspective and this was his worst year i think um but he was still he still threw for the third most passing yards in the league so by tom brady's standards he was not good right and he was on a bad team he was on an eight and nine team that because the nfc south was so bad he still made the playoffs but He was probably the worst team that he's ever played on and even with that I mean it's not like he was anywhere near the worst quarterback in the league like there are plenty of quarterbacks that he was better than this year at age 45 and I think that there are teams that would still want him next year if he wanted to play but I think it's clear that this is a personal decision for him that you know like you said he just looked miserable all year he looked miserable from the beginning of the season all the way to the end and obviously the stuff with his divorce, you know, plays a huge role, I think. And just in him feeling like, the, you know, it's it's time for this part of his journey to end. Um, but I think uh, when I think about this story, you know, we kind of had a shot at a fairy tale ending for his career. You know, when we're talking about imaging, the Super Bowl that he won when he moved to the Bucks could have been a moment where he said, OK, I've won a seventh. I'm the greatest player ever I can retire now and he didn't want that storybook ending you know and I get that because he's a competitor he's not out there to have you know the perfect career he's out there to be the best athlete he can be Um, and so he said you know I still feel like I can keep going and he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league last year even at age 44 or whatever you know he was still tearing the league up obviously they lost in the divisional round but to the eventual Super Bowl champions. But, you know, he by no means looked like a bad quarterback. And I understand the feeling, I think, that he felt like he could keep going. And in a sense, you know, he probably could keep playing in the league for a little while longer and not be the worst quarterback in the league still and still have a quarterback job. But I think when you're looking at his legacy, I think you have to eventually make the decision came to now which is that you know there's a time for everyone to call it quits and just because you can like in Jurassic Park just because you can do (laughs) something doesn't mean that you should you know and I think Tom Brady had the ability to a degree to play this year but I think our conclusions last year were right I, I don't think he should have I think in the end this is you know, it doesn't taint his legacy because even with one bad year, he's still leagues ahead of every quarterback that maybe ever will play the game. But at the same time, this year didn't need to happen. I don't think he needed to put himself through this.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned that, you know, he maybe could have kept playing. And I I think I agree with you, but I think I would love to know if part of this decision was motivated by the fact that he wasn't getting interest from other teams. That's um, possible. I don't know. I, I, I certainly can't think of a playoff contending team where if I was their general manager, I would want to swap out my existing quarterback for Tom Brady with the exception of maybe San Francisco. Well, that was the big thought, right? Right. But besides them, like I, I, I really do feel like the best roster that Tom Brady could play on as a regular starter would be Tampa Bay. And we saw that that just wasn't it wasn't good enough. The only upgrade I think that was even an option was was San Francisco. I don't think any other team that made the playoffs this year would swap their quarterback for Tom Brady. I don't even, yeah, I, I, I know my favorite team, I don't think the Steelers would. I don't think your team would. I don't, like, I haven't talked to a fan who would say, oh, I want to swap out my quarterback for Tom Brady unless they're, like, maybe the Cardinals. I don't know.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, like, as a Titans fan, like, there were rumors that Brady would consider or like that they were considering trying to make a move for Brady. But at this point in his career, like obviously peak Tom Brady is eons better than Ryan Tannehill has ever been or ever will be. But I'm not sure that Tom Brady with our offense right now actually adds that much to what we have over Ryan Tannehill, you know, and like the fact that Brady's at that point in his career now, I think you're, I think you're right. in that it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for his career. I think he could play on a bad team and be better. Like obviously he starts over Zach Wilson at the jets and probably sure. makes the jets a better team. Right. But does that really like augment his career that much? I don't think so. I think, I think the story of his career is over and it's just him continuing to play would have been just trying to prolong the inevitable. And I think he finally realized that I think this is the right call, but it does like, it just feels it's a strange way to finish it. You know, it, it's yeah. like, the fact that the Patriots, the Patriots retirement post for him was retweeting their post from last year. You That's know, funny. like a lot of people have done stuff like that. And you're kind of like, yeah, like you could have ended this, but and you didn't. And it's OK. You know, it doesn't like I, I think it tarnishes his personal life more than his legacy as a football player, honestly.
0: Yeah. And, and even last year we were talking about did he retire too late? Mm-hmm. Even when he was good, so this only yeah further further heightens that discussion. In terms of what's next for him, he has this huge contract with Fox on the table that he, I guess, I don't know if he's required to opt into it or if that's a ch- just a choice that he has now. Um, the the his uh his substitute analyst right now is uh, Greg Olson, who from from what I've seen has been a very popular analyst. In the NFL, who I think would, I guess, be forced to take the second job, the second team, if if Brady was elevated immediately, to, immediately to the first team, I'm not sure if that would be successful. I'm not. I don't know if Brady would be a good analyst. I don't really like his podcast that much that he does once a week on Mondays talking about football. I don't find him a particularly engaging speaker. Um, he could become good. I don't know. But again, like we've seen Greg Olson be good in the role. And so I think it would be uh, injustice if, you know, when the next season starts, Tom Brady has just walked into the number one booth at Fox over over Greg, Greg Olson, who has done a nice job with it this this past year.
1: Yeah, I think I just find myself wondering similarly from the times I've heard him talk, like he just doesn't strike me as a magnetic broadcaster type personality, you know, there's a certain, there are certain people just because you're a great player, a great coach doesn't mean that you're going to be a great broadcaster. And anyone who's in the broadcasting industry will tell you that. Um, and I'm just not sure he's that guy. And I'm also not sure that he wants to be that guy. That's my big question is how long is he going to want to be on a screen and laugh it up and chat about games while watching other competitors do what he kind of wants to be doing deep down like i just i i wonder if his future is going to be in football broadcasting in the next mm. five years or if he's going to say you know what maybe this is not for me but the money i think his he lost so much money with that whole crypto thing that i do wonder how much with that plus the divorce how much financial just dis- like. Finances may play a role in what he decides to do here. I wouldn't be surprised if he does it for a while only because of money. Quite honestly,
0: yeah, I'm not sure the the extent of his business portfolio. You mentioned the the FTX crypto thing. I do know that I don't. I've never met someone who uses any TB12 method products. Mm-hmm. I, right. I, I, I'm sure Mostly that person. somewhere that's a popular thing, but it's not in any circle that I've ever interacted in. So. I really don't know. I I wonder if um, you know if if he wanted to remain competitive, would he look at coaching, in some role, Can uh, you see him or as would he, coach, though? I? I no, no. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he w- just disappeared a little bit. That wouldn't be a totally shocking, or tries the the broadcasting for a while and sees if it sticks. Um, yeah, but I'm really not sure. I I really don't see a whole lot for him and certainly not really someone that I I think I'm going to be like really interested to see what he does next I think everything that he's done that has mattered a lot to me has already been been done and I'm saying this on the day that his movie 80 for Brady comes out again something that I will probably not be watching or paying any attention to
1: yeah and I think the problem this is this is my last on this I think the problem is that Tom Brady sees himself the same way i don't Mm. think tom brady is interested in what he does after football either and that's why he kept playing and you see sometimes players who feel that way and other times players you know evolve past their career into something new you know i can totally imagine like the kelsey brothers like we were talking about a little bit before the show started you know them just going into a broadcasting career and just goofing off and that being like their brand with like Connected to bar stool or something, and I think they would have a great time, and they'd, you know, be perfectly happy evolving into that. And I just can't, I can't imagine Tom being happy. and He doesn't seem like he would be happy doing anything other than playing football. And that's yeah, just that's so. a
0: rough place to be. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we'll end it by saying for the second time, thanks to Tom Brady, and the goat. We'll see. We'll see you around. He is. He is. And we we had that conversation last time. And nothing he could have done this year, as bad as it was, can diminish his, his ultimate legacy. I mean, he's up there with Rafa as
1: like probably one of the scariest competitors in any sport to play Has against to ever. Has yeah. to be.
0: Like yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. Jordan, Tiger, Rafa, Brady. In terms of like intensity, that would be my four. For sure. Yeah. John, there also is, you know, a football game in about a week this this podcast will come out a week before the uh, the Super Bowl which is an event that happens and we've got the matchup it was not a great conference championship weekend of games last weekend that's an understatement uh, the, yeah the, the Eagles 49ers game was over pretty quick um injuries played a huge factor in that we ended up the 49ers ended up playing with a quarterback who couldn't throw the ball for like the last half and, and Christian McCaffrey, a quarterback, I think, for at least one play. Yeah. And the Eagles had already kind of like opened up a, a very early double-digit double lead. The Chiefs-Bengals game was a game that I didn't think was going to... If you would ask me at halftime, is this going to be a good game? I would have said no, because the Bengals were really not playing well. Joe Burrow was getting sacked a bunch, and the... Chiefs were kind of rolling offensively. The second half really, really tightened. And the game ended up coming down to a really, really, really frustrating roughing uh, late hit out of bounds by the Bengals that set up a a makeable field goal for the Chiefs to win it. Um, If that penalty hadn't happened, I think the game would have gone to overtime. And at that point, we've seen that anything can happen in football. So it's a tough way for the Bengals to go out. I had obviously... um, Did I pick the Bengals? No, we definitely neither of us. We both had the Bills. Yeah, we did. Um, But I think I think we were both supporting the Bengals in that game over the Chiefs, and so yeah, a tough way to really really tough way for them to go out. They will be back, of course. They're still a good team, but they need to get some help on the offensive line, and I think that's the biggest off season need for the Bengals.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it ends up being the exact same story that we had last year, which was the offensive line getting absolutely annihilated at the line of scrimmage um in the super bowl and then here in the conference championship you know you just you cannot win championships with no offensive line um and that was very much on display as joe was running for his life once again um and the other thing honestly was just the bengal secondary doesn't come up with the plays for me that they need to in some of those big moments um Eli Apple always talks a big game and then gets annihilated against, you know, good opposition in crucial moments. And it was very much the same against the Chiefs. Um, And I think we should know that Patrick Mahomes played lights out while basically on one leg. Um, He put in a phenomenal performance to help, you know, not single-handedly, but very much, you know, had some crucial throws that if he hadn't made them while basically falling down once again... The Chiefs don't end up in the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know that I would say that the Chiefs were the best team in the AFC this year, but they showed the you know winning mentality that they've developed under Andy Reid over the last four years. This is now their third Super Bowl trip uh, in the last four years, which is just remarkable. Um, and now they're up against the Eagles, who I think are undisputedly the best team in the NFL this year. Um, and I, that's why I definitely think the Eagles are going to win this, but you definitely cannot count out the chiefs at any point.
0: Yeah. The Eagles have been wire to wire the best team in the NFL. I remember that, you know, it was like midway through the season. I think the Eagles were like seven and zero or eight. they were the last undefeated team. And we were talking on the pod and I was like, are the Eagles the best team in football? And we were both kind of unsure because at that point their schedule was pretty easy the Bills and the Chiefs were still, you know, really, really good. We had seen them perform well in the playoffs, while the Eagles, with Hertz, had not. And so I think that we both, we we didn't get on the band on the on the bandwagon early when it comes to how good the Eagles actually were. I think we missed that boat a little bit. But it, it's hard to argue now; they are they have been undisputedly the best team wire to wire from week one to to the conference championship.
1: Yeah, it's not like they've played really good teams in the playoffs. The Giants were demonstrated to kind of be a team that was punching above their weight a little bit in a couple games, um, but were not ready to play an actually good team in the playoffs, and that was very much demonstrated. Um, the 49ers obviously are a good team, but playing without a quarterback is very difficult, right? Um, and that just that hamstrung them in that game. I think I think if we had even Jimmy G, much as I malign him on a regular basis. If Jimmy G, a healthy Jimmy G had been in that game, I think the 49ers probably still would have lost, but I think it would have been much closer than it was. Um, But that being said, you have to beat what's in front of you, and the Eagles, aside from a couple slip-ups when Hertz was injured, have looked basically unstoppable this year, and I think when you look at this game, the Eagles have such strength in the trenches, both in running the ball and getting to the quarterback, that I I find it very unlikely that the Chiefs are going to win that battle. And so I think the the Chiefs are going to have to rely on Mahomes just coming up with freak plays, um, getting into the secondary, you know, getting Kelsey open. Their, their receiving core injuries is also a large issue because they had so many receivers injured in their game against the Bengals. You know, if all of them are still injured, I... Don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, they've got two weeks off, so we'll see what happens. But I very much feel like a lot of this is stacked on the side of the Eagles, which is like it's weird having the Chiefs come into this game kind of as underdogs.
0: Yeah, and the two weeks off also helps Mahomes a lot, obviously. Mm-hmm, for sure. Still rehabbing the ankle. So you're picking the Eagles? For sure. It sounds I think like. Eagles by score, like a by full touchdown. Okay. I'll zag. I'll zag. You're going to go
1: Chiefs? Yeah, Okay.
0: Yeah, I you know, I wouldn't I I wouldn't bet money on the Chiefs as like the favorite or but but my Mahomes agenda would be greatly serviced by them winning. It would be. And that's what I want. So I will I will pick it.
1: Okay. I, I would like to clarify I'm not like rooting for the Eagles here really. But I'm also like I just I don't really root for the Chiefs ever. So I'm kinda right. like sure. It's too. It's too moderately likable and moderately unlikable teams.
0: Well, I don't like picking against one of my favorite Alabama quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, who is a man that I I like a lot. But my Mahomes agenda is is more important to me. Than, I don't
1: like picking against the creators of one of the greatest Christmas albums of all time, the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. So
0: <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. Anything that you are looking at in the game or. About the whole Super Bowl experience that uh, you want to just put out there right now. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. My my primary prediction is
1: actually that Apple is going to announce a Timothy Chalamet uh, movie slash TV show through a ad um, at some point during the Super Bowl. Um, I feel like Apple TV's recent ad with Timothy Timothy Chalamet, where he was complaining that he didn't have a project. It just felt like a Super Bowl ad, and I was surprised that it wasn't it a Super Bowl ad, but it would be the perfect preview for an actual Super Bowl ad, and I feel like it's, all, like, I will be shocked if there's not a Timothy Chalamet Apple TV um, project announced at some point during the Super Bowl. Like, I'll genuinely be shocked.
0: It's also a really good ad. Like, it's really It's a, funny. It's a great
1: ad. I, it, it would have been one of the Super Bowl ads, like, of mm-hmm. the year for me already if it had been in the Super Bowl. So I expect greatness from this Apple TV ad, and anything less will be disappointing quite honestly okay
0: that, that's a, that's a good take i i think i i think i agree do you have anything i think that well i mean i think rihanna opens with umbrella i think that's her that's her first song i feel pretty good about that um i think i mean i think you have to you have to start there um for a super bowl halftime show and i think i'll pick i i guess i'm i'm interested, really interested in, in the tone of this game because these are two teams who play very different kinds of football
1: Absolutely.
0: The Eagles love to suck up the clock with these super long, run heavy drives that just kill you. They're slow, they run the ball really well. While you know, if you if, if the if you see the Chiefs starting a drive, chances are if you go up if you get up to go get a drink, they've already scored by the time you get back to your chair. Mm-hmm. And so like the the pace of this game and the way that it ends up playing out is going to be really fascinating to me in terms of who can dictate the pace. And my greatest worry is that the Eagles dictate, you know, like the Eagles, let's say that they get the ball first and their opening thing is like a nine play, 75 yard, you know, 65 yards on the run, through the run drive. And it's, and it's taken nine minutes. And then you're almost done with the first quarter before Mahomes even touches the ball. At that point, the Chiefs, you know, are in trouble. Right. Um I think the higher scoring the game, the better the chances are for the Chiefs to win. I agree. Um I, I think I think a score line in which the Chiefs win would be something like 28-21, even like even 31-28, something something high. Um the Chiefs might need to score into the 30s where you know the Eagles could you know you could see something like Eagles 17-14 and be like, "Oh yeah, I see how that happened." So, I think I I think if because I'm picking the Chiefs, I need to go high scoring here. And that's what I'm expecting. That by the second half, it's going to turn into a bit of a shootout. Which would be great. Both teams have awesome wide receivers. Like, they, Devonta Smith can run as fast as anyone else in the world. And Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Travis Kelsey. Like, this could be a really, really great passing attack if it does open up. Which would be a lot of fun to see.
1: I think I'm going 24-21 Eagles. I think that's going to be my call.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. We'll see if we podcast again before the Super Bowl. Obviously, this podcast will come out Saturday, the fourth. The Super Bowl will be on the twelfth. And if we don't podcast again, we hope that you all enjoy the game. And I know we will be. I'm very excited. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun because we have to do the most important thing that
1: we always do, which is the ad roundup, which I think is really the best part of the Super Bowl in general anyway.
0: That's correct. Yeah, we do. We, we'll do Not like actually. a top five
1: as football people. We don't actually believe that, but you know, we have to like, we, the ads are very important. It is part of the culture. It, is. it
0: definitely is. John, without further ado, <laughs> let's get to the list. The most and important thing we've ever done. Here, here's what's going on here. We've talked about this before. I know I've brought this up, but you know, football is a sport that naturally warrants comparisons to the military. And we do it literally all the time. A quarterback who has good arm strength has a cannon. cannon. John literally already said today that the Eagles are great in the trenches. Not the line of scrimmage, but in the World War I style, all quiet on the Western front trenches. The, the way that we use military terminology to talk about football happens constantly.
1: And so, any other sport,
0: honestly, when you think I about think it, so. Yeah. yeah, I think so and so let's 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 explain what we're doing here. What we're doing is we have taken some of the you know more interesting NFL head coaches right now and a couple from the past, and we have chosen a general, a famous military general from history to represent them. This may be because they have similar stories or similar styles. Generals and head coaches are very similar. Particularly in the NFL, because you are both a tactician, and that comes with certain aggressive or defensive styles in the military. In in football, it also comes with man management, the way that you relate to your soldiers or your players. The comparisons are literally endless. And so, for you history nerds, if you don't know as much about football, you're going to learn about some football. If you're football people and you don't know a lot about history. Then you're going to learn about some different wars, and if you like both, then you've basically just clicked play into heaven, and you're going to have a great time, like we are. I don't know. remember exactly how this idea came up, other than that we were just talking about Mike McDaniel, and then one of us was like, oh yeah, he's like George Washington, and then we were like, oh yeah, and then we just decided to do this, so... I think it was the other way around,
1: honestly, because we were was we it? were in an art museum, and I think we saw a picture of George Washington and started talking about how he was a brilliant leader of men. Mm. You know, one of the greatest motivators that, you know, that military history has ever seen. I mean, he he not only led the underdog Americans to a victory against, you know, one of the world superpowers at the time, the United Kingdom, but he was also an incredible president however he at times this is something that's kind of painted over in most american history textbooks he was not the greatest at um battlefield management shall we say Mm. in terms of his tactics on the battlefield in certain big moments when it's just like you know just two armies that are like evenly matched and fighting each other. He often got outclassed by British generals. Um, looking at like the Battle of New York, where the British landed and just completely outmaneuvered him and outflanked him. And he, the Americans escaped, but he had to beat a hasty retreat because he was just not really ready for that conflict. There were a lot of situations like that. And for some, I don't remember how, which one of us thought of it first, but someone was like, you know who that reminds me of?
0: Mm-hmm. Mike McDaniel.
1: And then this was born.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because when the Revolutionary War started, America, we didn't really have a lot of experienced military leaders because all the wars previously that we had fought were under the leadership of primarily British generals, uh, specifically in the French and Indian War. George Washington was one of the you know most high-ranking officers that ended up fighting for America that fought in the French and Indian War. And he was only like a colonel. He was not a general previously and he was a pretty like mediocre colonel in the French Indian War. And that's interesting because when Mike McDaniel took the took the job of um, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, he'd only been an offensive coordinator for one year. And before that, he'd only been a positions coach. So also, you know, somewhat inexperienced when he took over the head coaching job. And, you know, like you mentioned, and as I've said, I think that part of Mike McDaniel's brand is just to seem like a dude. Um, and that's certainly not what George Washington did. He was quite reserved and removed from his from his soldiers. But in terms of just like create, they both had a desire to generate love and support from, from the people that they were leading in, in different ways. And they both rely a lot on other people to actually like win um you know the the reason why the revolutionary war turned around for the americans and i think the most significant contribution that george washington made to the war was simply surviving valley forge because it was in the winter of valley forge when over 2000 soldiers died in the cold that the Prussian leader, Wilhelm von Steuben, came to support the Americans. He was a highly experienced military officer and he began drilling and training the Continental Army into an actual army. And it was his leadership as a tactician and as a drill sergeant that created order, stability and discipline into the army. And Mike McDaniel does not seem like a disciplinary guy either. He seems like a good motivator but he has also relied heavily on his coordinators and other leadership positions to actually do the specific drilling and discipline of the troops, of his players, and so. Yeah, that's my that's my comparison. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not just it's of. not just the coordinators. It's also his
1: players. Like he re, he has relied on his players to make big plays, you know, and schemes things well to make allow them to make plays. And I think that lines up perfectly with George Washington at the Battle of Saratoga, which was perhaps. America's biggest, you know, pitched battle victory against the British, and George Washington was not even there. There it is.
0: <laughs> John, you're much lower on George Washington as a military commander than
1: I am, but... I I would like to point out that I'm not actually taking, like, giving George Washington serious heat. I just think he's slightly overrated as an actual general.
0: Sure, that's fair enough. Um,
1: my first pick is much-feated Los Angeles Rams coach Sean McVay who you know is was the young boy genius who entered the league just suddenly just arrived as this person who everyone thought was like the newest hot stuff he made it to the Super Bowl and then i think if i'm counting correctly 2 years later 3 years later i think 3 years later made it to the Super Bowl again and won yes yeah 3 years later um made it to the Super Bowl i think he's th- 37 right now which is incredibly young for an nfl head coach and especially one who has won the super bowl and all of a sudden you know is now seems like on the brink of retirement before the age of 40 which is just incredible again for an nfl head coach who seems like they were on top of the world seems like they could have gone anywhere they wanted um and i think the natural connection in my mind for this alexander the great who similarly Mm. had a legacy of incredible football knowledge passed down to him or military knowledge in Alexander the greats sense, um, who took one of the best like military engines the world had ever seen in Macedonia. Their phalanx method of fighting was one of the most effective the ancient world ever saw. And they conquered the biggest empire at the time, the Persian empire, basically without breaking a sweat. You know, it was a remarkable military achievement, what Alexander the Great did, beating every army the Persians sent at them, often outnumbered, um, but he was just such a brilliant tactician and a brilliant play caller, so to speak, that he, through a mixture of just innovation and personal bravery, conquered, you know, the, the world's biggest empire at the time, and then divided it up among his generals, and then died at like the age of 30. And obviously yeah. Sean McVay is not dying as far as we know, but I think there's a similar kind of career trajectory of genius arrives, sudden arc up into greatness. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what's going on? And then his empire is divided up. And I think the Rams season this year kind of feels like that.
0: Yeah. Part, I mean, part of the conversation with Sean McVay was like, what do you do when you've you know, climbed to the top of the mountain so early in your career? Exactly. And that's a, that's a question that few military leaders, but one of them would be Alexander the Great and the other one would be Napoleon, would be able to relate to. Is they've, they conquered the world, but they did it so young that they, you know, before they hit their midlife crisis, they had nothing else to do. They had, they had, they had already climbed the mountain. And Sean McVeigh has definitely done that as well. Uh, John, we also assigned generals for our two personal favorite coaches, the coaches of our teams, the Mikes. Both mics. I picked John Churchill as my coach for Mike Tomlin.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> this would be even better if Mike Tomlin in. had like played like, I don't know, had coached for like four seasons and just had never lost a game in any of those seasons. And that would, that, would, that, that would be incredible. Yeah. But obviously it's very difficult to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the whole point of this is just to say that Mike Tomlin is, is is a serial winner. But in doing some more research about John Churchill, what I learned is that he was kind of the architect of the transition in the NFL and in, uh, in war from siege warfare to open battle. Um, when he inherited the British army, pretty much the only way war happened was by literally besieging the castle. You know, we're talking like ramparts and moats, the medieval type of war from the 1500s, 1400s. And Churchill is the one who ushered in the modern day type of battle with troop movement and maneuvering and open field battle that would then define the 1700s and 1800s. And similarly, Mike Tomlin inherited the Steelers at a time when, football was a run a run and defense game and that was particularly true of the Steelers he he came into the league when Jerome Bettis our great running back was you know racking up super bowls and 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 yards and the passing attack was really a backseat but by you know mid career Mike Tomlin Ben Roethlisberger was one of the most prolific passing quarterbacks in the league and we had elite wide receivers like San Antonio Holmes Antonio Brown who had massive seasons Antonio Brown had several Seasons with the Steelers in which he led the league in reception yards and touchdowns. And so in terms of overseeing the, a revolutionary change of style, I wouldn't say that Mike Tomlin has become the most aggressive, pass-happy coach in the NFL, but he certainly has adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's been there for so long, almost 20 years, he had to adapt from from one style to another. And um, John Churchill did the same for, for warfare.
1: That's a little bit of history that I learned. There you go there it is i i don't know i've read about the i remember like back when i was a kid and i was a real nerd and i would just like wikipedia dive for hours on end i definitely read some about the war of spanish succession but i don't like i don't remember anything from that era so well that's why we're doing this yeah the duke the duke of marlborough right john yes yes that's correct um my mike mike rabel goaded coach of the tennessee titans um i am going You know, with all the caveats regarding Confederate generals aside, uh, my comparison is going to be Stonewall Jackson because when you think about Mike Vrabel, there actually aren't that many former NFL players who are coaches in the league right now who had successful NFL careers and then went on to be head coaches. Mike Vrabel is one of those guys, and if you talk to anyone who's played under him, he is very much a player's coach. He coaches like he played as a hard hitting you know hard hitting NFL player who is willing to lay it all out in the line for his team and expects the exact same physicality and intensity and desire from his players. And he requires a strong emphasis on defense and physicality and making sure that you do your job and follow your assignments to the letter. And I thought a great comparison for that would be Stonewall, because Stonewall Jackson was perhaps one of the great examples in human history of the soldiers general. Someone who's on the front lines with his soldiers. Not in an era like in the Middle Ages or in ancient warfare, where you expect always to have a general on the front lines basically fighting with his men, but Stonewall very much was that person. You would see him right there on the front lines, um, in battles against the Union throughout the Civil War. Um, Famously, he died, actually, um, from friendly fire, but, you know, because he was on the front lines. Um, When you look at the versatility he demonstrated, and also in numerous battles, I forget which battle it was that earned him the nickname Stonewall, but his units were just renowned for, if you told them to hold the position, they would not budge. Um, and I think that's a pretty good comparison for Mike Rabel.
0: I love that. I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. I just hope that he's not taken down by one of his own one of his own players, like Stonewall Jackson was.
1: Yeah, I mean that wouldn't be ideal. But to be fair, Mike Rabel's legacy this season was taken down by his own players <sighs> being injured, so it kind of worked.
0: <laughs> I get, that's a note that Stonewall Jackson was was killed during the Civil War by friendly fire. Um, I think it was like cloudy, and they were like. Ran in, or it was foggy, and they ran into each other,
1: and uh, it was it was a mistaken identity situation, and they shot him, and then he was very yeah. tragic. But he that's seemed right. overall right. like a
0: good guy. Yeah, I, I mean, besides that, he was fighting for the Confederacy. Yeah, like, and we, uh, we should we should say the all the caveats time. about yeah, that. We, we yeah, we should yeah. just make a general one that, that we're not actually like if we bring up like you know Genghis Khan later, we're not necessarily condoning exactly what all these people were fighting for. Um, that's correct. across the board. Yeah, yeah, that's um, important to demonstrate. I definitely wanted to make sure that we included Dan Campbell on this list. Absolutely, because just as Dan one Campbell of, is like, the most likely to be an actual general. Yeah, like he could be. I've, I've seen movies where he is like a drill sergeant just like doing his thing at, at a military academy. But in terms of military leaders, I decided that we would go with uh, William Wallace here. This is kind of a consensus pick, and it's perfect. Like the, the unhinged brave heart just craziness... And it fits on a couple levels. First, like personality wise, um, I think that Dan Campbell would do really well in Scotland. Uh, William Wallace obviously fought in the war for Scottish independence from Britain in the who was it, sixteen seventeen hundreds? No, no, it was like earlier fourteen. At the lowest. oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, even the twelve hundred. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It was like pre guns. <laughs> You know, this, the Scots were a pretty ragtag group. They didn't have a whole lot of organization, but William Wallace became their leader and ultimately led them to a very heroic defeat where they, they really tried and they fought their hearts out and they didn't quite make it. This is more and more and perfect The more. Think about it. He also was someone who was willing to be unconventional. You know, this was an era in which, again, like I said, wars were kind of fought out in the open you know ambushes were considered not not the way you do things you 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 stand out there in front of the castle and you fire your bows and they fire their bows back and then you build your camp and you just wait for them to come out and the scots decided to take a you know unconventional guerrilla style they use ambushes and um, we saw the lions when they knocked the packers out of the playoffs you know Use some unconventional plays going forward on fourth down using the hook and ladder like different, you know, the willingness to be unconventional is why I think that Dan Campbell is William Wallace.
1: I would like to also say that I think Dan Campbell could be cast as any character in Robert Eggers' The Northman and he would be a perfect casting choice. (laughs) He would. (laughs) He really would. I think I think he would be brilliant. I would love to see like forget about Aaron Rodgers being in Game of Thrones. Dan Campbell could be in any medieval movie as any character and he would be incredible. I love it. So I I really approve of that. My next pick is Nick Eagles coach Nick Sirianni. He has been a mildly controversial figure at times this year he has. at the Eagles. Um and you know, when you think about we talked about the job he's done there, um, which has been really remarkable. I think this is, this is his first year there, right?
0: Yes. First or second.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think it's his first year there. I could be wrong. But anyway, he's either first or second, and he is building a incredible team.
0: This is but his second year.
1: Second year? Yeah. His constant aggression, Um, you know, that... Passed to Devontae Smith that scored, basically set up the first touchdown um, against the 49ers that turned out to be kind of illegitimate, but we don't don't need to talk about that. It wasn't a catch. It was not a catch. But the aggression to go for that play, you know, early in the game, right? It's On fourth down. On fourth down. You know, it kind of defines who Nick Sirianni has been this season. He's been bombastic. He likes to get in people's faces. He likes to, you know, get mad at the refs and, you know, in a very like bombastic and aggressive way, he'll be very forward in press conferences. And when I think about generals of history, no one stuck out to me more than George Patton, who similarly was aggressive, intense, and quite often unpopular, um, leading American forces against the Germans during World War II. He perhaps most well-known, I mean, I think he was in Africa, but he's perhaps most well-known for, you know, his role in moving through France and into Germany um, after the Normandy invasion. And he was excellent at using tanks and using armored divisions to basically beat the Germans at their own game of aggressive military um, combined arms tactics. He very much knew how to exploit pressure points, and, you know, keep th- his opponent constantly on the back foot. And that's something that Nick Sirianni does. But he also made his superior generals angry with him constantly. He made generals, like British generals that were collaborating with him, angry with him constantly because he just didn't listen to anybody. Yeah, He famously got in serious trouble. And I believe, I think it was in Italy, and I think he was – maybe removed from his role for a while, if I remember correctly, and was reinstated after Normandy um, because he slapped a soldier in a hospital who had shell shock and told him that he was a coward. And he was just a very, like, kind of confrontational and aggressive person, and I think that matches up really well with the persona that Nick Sirianni has created for himself, um, both for better and for worse at the Eagles.
0: This is a good call. I like it. Uh, I want to stay in World War II, and um, I wanted to use this exercise to to not just have fun with the matching, but to also say something about the familiarity, about the similarities between these two roles, and like some in some specific ways. And um, I'm calling this category prone to nepotism because both both head coaching jobs and military generals are often you see a lot of father-son combinations, or 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 family um, having a parent or or an uncle who was in who was either a general or a head coach, is a huge is a huge way that other people then be, take on the same job. And one of the examples right now is Kyle Shanahan, who was the 49ers head coach, who was the son of Mike Shanahan, who was a two-time Super Bowl champion as a head coach. He was a, he was a great head coach. He had eight postseason victories. He he most famously um, won the two consecutive Super Bowls with the Broncos. Um, and Kyle Shanahan is his son who was a very like is a very uh, well-regarded offensive mind. He became the head coach of the 49ers. And I'm comparing him to Douglas MacArthur because Douglas MacArthur had a very, very famous uh, father who was also a military general. Arthur MacArthur started started fighting in the Civil War as a lieutenant, um, a a position that his father secured for him. Um, So even more nepotism. And then eventually, um, throughout his military career, he became lieutenant general and actually a, a military president of the occupied Philippines territory in the early 1900s. And so um, I'm not going to, you know, compare Douglas MacArthur's style to Kyle Shanahan anyway. I don't really know a whole lot about Douglas MacArthur to be honest with you, but just to say that these are both roles, military and, and in football, where parentage can can be a a way to success for the sons. Hmm, that's that's an interesting point. I think that's very true. You you do see that throughout history all
1: the time, and. and it's interesting that you see it now, even in the American military, right? Which is perhaps at least built to be less nepotistic than a lot mm-hmm. of previous militaries. Um, obviously in medieval armies, you know, ne- it just was nepotism. Like there was yeah, no your like, son question about Your son yeah, was right. the general, you're right. right. Like in Henry the or whatever. Um, I really like that. I, so I think my next one is going to be Bill Belichick. And I'm digging into the Russian history archives for this because number one, Bill Belichick is not Russian, but he is part of the Slavic world. I think he is originally Croatian—not uh, like originally, but his ancestors are Croatian because he wears that little Croatia badge on his uh on his shirt during like the the World Country Represent weeks in the NFL. Um, so for for a little background, Kutuzov was when Russia invaded or when France, when Napoleon invaded Russia during 1812, so war and peace era, um, Kutuzov was the general basically tasked with stopping Napoleon from making it all the way through. And most of this isn't so much a stylistic thing as a personality thing, because Kutuzov, similar to Belichick, was gruff, cranky, refused to listen to anyone else, made his own decisions, Um, But he was also a brilliant tactician who very much knew how to slow an opponent down, how to make them annoyed, how to basically as Napoleon invaded Russia, he slowly just retreated further and further, ground his forces down to a pulp. As you know, the winter rolled through, as he denied them supplies, he only took battles when he wanted them. So famously, um, at the Battle of Borodino, outside Moscow, it was essentially a Russian victory where they, it wasn't like a conclusive battle, but they caused so many French casualties and slowed them down so much that eventually the French realized that they were not going to be able to win a strategic victory anywhere and force the Russians to surrender. And so they stayed in Moscow for a little bit, and then they just marched right back outside marched right back um west out of Russia as the winter descended and basically the entire French army was destroyed. And it just seems like a very Belichick kind of way to general, where you never really give your opponent, you know, the terms that they want to fight on. And you make them mad and you frustrate everyone on your side as well as their side because you never really give anyone a fair fight. Um but in the end you end up winning. So It seemed, I don't know, it seemed like a good comparison to me. I think it does fit. The question is, does it fit the best? That is a question. I do, I will say like Julius Caesar also fits as Bill Belichick only because Bill Belichick is like the GOAT coach, so.
0: Yeah, I I, want to stick with Caesar though, because I have a proposal here, which is that if you go in certain parts, if you go to certain parts of New York and you say, what do you think about Bill Belichick? The answer is not going to be, oh, he's like the GOAT coach or he's like really good. Or The answer you're going to get is, oh, he's a traitor. Mm. He's an absolute traitor. Because Bill Belichick was offered and accepted the head coaching job with the New York Jets. And he was the head coach of the New York Jets for exactly one day. <laughs> because one day after accepting the head coaching job for the New York Jets, he resigned that job And then immediately took the job of head coach of the division rival, New England Patriots, where he has been for the last two decades. And to me, this reminds me a lot of Mark Antony. Mm. Now, there is no definitive evidence that Mark Antony helped organize or plan the assassination of Julius Caesar. Right. But he certainly did use it very opportunistically. That he did. To become... A very influential historical figure in Rome he obviously um, he became a proconsul consul under um, the next Caesar and continued to serve several Caesars long afterward as uh, again it's not a perfect fit it, it, would, it would be really better if like Brutus was a military general because <laughs> as opposed to a senator because he was the one who like literally stabbed Caesar um, mm-hmm but I was trying to I was thinking about you know Benedict Arnold famous American traitor but you know obviously like Benedict Arnold was not the brilliant tactician that Bill Belichick was nor was he really like good at anything like Bill Belichick is but I I wanted someone with just a little bit of traitorousness in them yeah just some just some treachery and yeah I don't know I again it, it he did he's not the one that stabbed Caesar but as someone who was around, Caesar was present on the day of the assassination and then very opportunistically elevated his career as a direct result of the assassination of his beloved friend, Julius Caesar. Um, I think that it does in many ways fit the the heartache and the betrayal that fans of the uh, much maligned NFL franchise the New York Jets can relate to. Well,
1: I think even I, I'll say, I think an even better comparison within Mark Antony's career, and um, Bill Belichick's career was that Julius Caesar, right, famously was the lover of Queen of Egypt at the time, Cleopatra. Mm. Caesar dies. Who becomes the lover and ally of Cleopatra? Mark, Mark
0: Antony, Antony, Mr. Steal Your Girl, <laughs>
1: Mr. Steal Your Girl. So I, I think that's a an actually perfect comparison. The Comparisons die out when Mark Anthony proves himself to be a pretty bad general overall yes. and admiral yes. overall at the Battle of Actium gets completely annihilated by Augustus, and that's kind of the end of that. So I, I do for the Jets specifically in this scenario, the New York the coaching job of Bill Belichick is Cleopatra.
0: There's <laughs> not no loyalty, no loyalty, <laughs> none at all. <laughs> I do okay. Like it so. All. Yeah, that, I think Bill Belichick is obviously the... He, he is the one that, like... You, you you said that it might be Dan Campbell. I think Bill Belichick could be a general. Like, I, I, I think 100%. in real life, he, he definitely is, is a general. Um, I wanted to make sure that we hit both of the Super Bowl coaches. And so I'm deciding to go with Andy Reid. And I'm comparing Andy Reid to Ulysses S. Grant, whose, whose name is actually not Ulysses S. Grant, famously. Um what was it again? I forgot. His middle name was Ulysses. And um there was a mix up in his West Point paperwork that, that that attributed his first name as Ulysses and then had his middle initial as S. And his first name actually was something that started with an H and then his middle name was Ulysses. But the 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 clerical error stuck, and so he became US Grant for the rest of the time. Ulysses was a much maligned general. He had a horrible reputation early on in the Civil War. All of Abraham Lincoln's advisors absolutely hated Grant. Famously, he would get reports about Grant on the battlefield about how he was an alcoholic and he was not able to to lead. He was completely unorganized and disheveled. And and, um, Lincoln famously said that um, he asked the Secretary of War to send whatever alcohol U.S. Grant was drinking to the rest of his generals, because obviously they needed some of the same stuff that U.S. Grant had. Um, and similarly, I think Andy Reid was a pretty maligned coach when he was the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. He inherited, he played, he coached some very, very good teams there and he was considered a, a sound offensive mind and a good coach, but he never elevated. He never, he never got them to where that franchise wanted to be. And I think that there was, when he left, I think there was some genuine bad blood, um, between him and the Eagles fans. It's um, that, kind of worn off over time as, as both both the Eagles and Andy Reid have gone on to be great separately. Both have won a Super Bowl apart from each other. But it just, it just wasn't a great fit. He wasn't, he wasn't exactly right. But when Andy Reid got to the Kansas City, obviously his, his full potential was unlocked. He has won a Super Bowl. He's unlocked the career of Patrick Mahomes. And similarly, when, when Ulysses S. Grant took over the command of the entire Union Army during the Civil War, his full potential was unlocked, and he he was the, the single greatest architect of the American victory in the Civil War. And so, um, I think in terms of people who had very very legitimate but but ultimately wrong um, marks on their character and on their reputations, but both went a long way to restore those reputations. I think there's a similarity there that I think that I think fits.
1: I do really like that i'd like to also give an honorable mention for andy reed to famous german general again with all the caveats therein from being you know a 1930s 1940s german general um heinz guderian i think also lines up with andy mostly just because i wanted to fit him in somewhere because he basically created modern warfare mm. as as a military tactician in the interim between world war one and world war two heinz guderian was basically the primary driver of what we now know as combined arms, which is where you use tanks, like the the famous German blitzkrieg method where you use tanks to punch through an enemy line after softening it up with air attacks and then sending the soldiers in behind to clean up the pockets of resistance. Something the Germans used very effectively, something America used extremely effectively in Desert Storm. It's something that when you look at what the Germans did at the beginning of World War II, it changed warfare forever. And I don't think Andy Reid maybe is that generational of a innovator, but I do think that when you look at the way his teams play, it—the Chiefs are have been over the last few years with Patrick Mahomes kind of on the cutting edge of where the NFL is going um, in shifting to a up-tempo, aggressive passing attack that you know has changed basically the model of what we expect out of quarterbacks um, I think that the Andy Reid Patrick Mahomes kind of combo has shifted even though this year has been a little bit more run heavy I think what we expect out of new quarterbacks has completely shifted because of what the Chiefs have been doing over the last few years and I think there's a good comparison there
0: yeah I like that I like that a lot you want to do one more each or just do one more we can do one more each okay That's good to me why don't you go with um go with our interim guy <sighs> <laughs> yeah, so not to uh not to dunk on
1: poor Indianapolis Colts interim coach Jeff Saturday. Uh um, well, this is a dunk. But, but I did I did I did come up with a dunk on him because he came in promoted by Colts owner Jim Ersay from being an ESPN analyst to being an NFL head coach for basically no reason. You know, he was a player for the Colts back in the day and was an icon and was well respected. Um and people said, you know, maybe he'll be able to do a good job. But Jeff Saturday, after that win against the Raiders, did not do a good job across the board um, this season. It's just, it has not been ideal. And the comparison that I found is Publius Quinctilius Varus, who was mm-hmm. an overpromoted mid general who was a governor in both Africa and Syria under ancient Rome. Um, he is most well known, however, for taking not one, not two, but three Roman legions. Um, which I believe is like 20,000. Yeah. Yeah, Around, around 15,000 men, which is a lot of soldiers at the time, right? For a new veteran army of disciplined soldiers. He became the governor of Germany and he marched basically totally just not paying attention, marched three legions into the forts of Germany, um, with an ally of his called Arminius, who was a German leader. He led them into the depths of the forest, and Arminius turned traitor and promptly had his German soldiers kill all of Varus's legions. Varus killed himself, and it was a very tragic story, um, called the Battle of the Teutoburg Forest. If you want to read more about it, because it's quite interesting, um, and it marks the high water mark of basically Rome trying to expand into Germany. They never, after that defeat, they never expanded into Germany, um, but. It's just kind of a similar situation of you have someone who's clearly not cut out for the job in front of him um, being sent into a situation where he's over his head. And, you know, I don't think Jeff Saturday was as overconfident as Varys was. Um, but it's clear that he was not the man for the job. And when you put him in these circumstances, that just became more and more apparent the longer things went. So
0: that's my that's my lineup. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, I think, I think it'll be interesting to see on a football note it was a, it was a, it was definitely a risk for jeff saturday to to go straight into coaching on an interim head coaching role it was really weird as opposed to you know easing his way in and it's interesting to see if he will get another chance um if he'll have to start at a lower level in in college or in um maybe like as a as a coordinator or a position coach but it would be it would be bizarre, I think, if he got a an, if he went straight into another head coaching role, but it'll be interesting to see if his desire to coach remains and if he ends up coming into a different role at some point.
1: I mean, he didn't even have a winning record at the high school level,
0: before, right? But. So it's right. just it was very strange. Yeah. Um. As we close up the podcast here, I wanna I wanna do one more, and I wanna compare the last uh, twenty years of the. Cincinnati Bengals to the first three years of the Army of the Potomac in the Civil War. Um, George McClelland was the general, this the Union General of the Army of the Potomac and he became the general in chief of the entire Union Army. And he was a man who was beloved politically. He had a lot of allies in high places. He um, had a lot of friends on, on Abraham Lincoln's cabinet but as a general he was widely indecisive and ineffective in fact in in 1862 lincoln had a secret meeting with generals and he didn't invite george mcclellan and he got so frustrated that he said if general mcclellan does not want to use the army i would like to borrow it for a time mcclellan yeah, McClellan was notorious for making plans, over planning, and never implementing plans. Lincoln would give him a deadline, like, you must attack by February 22nd of 1862. Of and on March 8th, McClellan would send a letter back explaining the 20 reasons why it was not the opportune moment to attack. And to me, this reminds me a lot of Marvin Lewis. And Marvin Lewis was the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals for 16 years and he is the coach with the most regular season wins to have zero playoff wins. In those 16 years, he has seven playoff firsts and lost every single playoff game he ever he ever had coached in. So again, someone who was very ingratiated with the owners, they you know he had a, a long tenure but, and, um, and but when it came down to it, just couldn't couldn't deliver when it mattered most. But then George McClellan was replaced. Prior to the Battle of Gettysburg by George Meade, Mm -hmm. um, who during the Battle of Gettysburg won the battle that for all practical purposes turned the tide of the war, but ultimately didn't follow up on his opportunity of his victory in Gettysburg, where he had the chance to chase Lee back down across the southern border and, and continue to keep the attack on General Lee while the Confederates were stranded up in the North in Pennsylvania. Uh, but he missed that opportunity. He stayed put in Pennsylvania and allowed the Confederate Army to retreat with no obstruction all the way back down into Virginia. And similarly, Zach Taylor, who took over the Bengals after Marvin Lewis, is someone who has won more than uh, Marvin Lewis did. He's, he's gone to a Super Bowl and a conference championship game but still has failed to hit at exactly the right moment. This is perfect. This is incredible. Yeah, it really is (laughs) you know, when it, again, he, he has elevated just like General Meade elevated, but has still not quite hit the final punch, put the final nail in the coffin and like, you know, just made the final step and just like Meade couldn't chase Lee back down, Zach Taylor has not yet secured the biggest prize that he wants. And I, I genuinely think he will. Um, I think he will be the coach for the Bengals that wins the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow, but not yet.
1: Not yet. He didn't yet. chase him down. That mm. that is a perfect note to end this list on because that I could cannot think of a better succession of coaches to jet. Like that's ex- exact. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. Remarkable. The Civil War is my wheelhouse when it comes to history, um, and so I felt I felt very at home mm. in, in this space. So that's, that's that's a good that's a good. That's remarkable. I hope you guys
1: enjoyed this as much as we did because the shenanigans involved here I think in both of us planning this out were quite fun.
0: Yeah we had a really good time. I, we really did. I, I, I realized though that when it comes to uh, history of warfare, I am a little too American centric. Um, I don't I don't have the global historical reach that you do. Um, I, I was I was definitely not going to be pulling um, Mikhail Kudsov. out of out of my hat that wasn't that wasn't going to happen for me i'll admit though my american my american history knowledge is also lacking so we kind of balance each other out there mm, that's good that's good Mm -hmm. um yeah i hope that you guys did enjoy the pod if if nothing else than just to learn a little bit more about who we think are the most important coaches around today and what about their style has has proven to be successful or or not successful if you look at the global historical context of war um I think, should we save Breakpoint for when I, I finish it? Or, yeah. Okay. We've gone a little Time-wise. long. We wanted yeah. to talk about Breakpoint, but I have not finished all five. So I will do that by the next time we podcast and we'll make time to talk about Breakpoint because we do want to talk about it. And if you aren't watching it, you should because I will just say that we have seen most of it and we both like it a lot. Um, so do check it out. I finished it, it
1: before you. Incredible. It's
0: incredible. Yeah. This is almost unprecedented. Yeah, I think it's I think it's worth a watch for yeah, any sports fan. 100%. Um, at, at any level of tennis yeah. knowledge as well. Um, it'll it'll hold your hand and walk you through it if you know nothing about tennis or you can jump right in if you had that prior knowledge. So, so do check it out and we'll talk about it next time we pod. In the meantime, we hope that you all enjoy the Super Bowl. I hope that you all enjoy Patrick Mahomes winning his second championship and becoming the greatest coach, the greatest quarterback of all time. No. Okay. Because Tom Brady, we literally
1: just established that, like, the, the, the amount of hoops he's going to have to jump through to beat Tom Brady is insane.
0: I know. I know. So, I, would so. like to, I would like to direct you all to a thread on Twitter by Max Kellerman explaining that in his first five years, Patrick Mahomes has the best career in, in the five years of any quarterback in history. Um, he's right. Did you and try to cite Max Kellerman on this podcast? I did. <laughs> but Max Kellerman is right. I support Max Kellerman. It's true. That, mm, it's debatable. Every year that he has started, he has hosted the AFC Championship. He's that won two league MVPs, a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP in his okay, first five so years. He,
1: he needs two more Super Bowls, though, to match Tom Brady's first 10 years. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just saying that's a lot. Yeah, that's a high bar. Okay, all right. He might have one by the next time we podcast. He, he might may, be. Halfway to that. Maybe he'll. Yeah. Maybe he'll. Be... What if Patrick Mahomes becomes a serial Super Bowl loser? That would be very depressing. <laughs> That'd be very sad. The last thing I have to say is, if you have other NFL general comparisons, do send them to us because we want to hear them.
0: Oh please. Yeah please. I, I yeah. Especially um, you know I was looking at the list of, of of coaches and I like I didn't even know who the. Atlanta Falcons coach was like, I, I had never guys, yeah. ever even heard of him. Yeah. So, uh if you do have more, we would love to hear them. And I guess that's it for the pod. We've gone is, a little long, but it's a deep dive into history. So, it, it needed to hard. be extensively, yeah, extensively is, gone this through. This is
1: our like delving into the rest is history. Ra- that's right, realm, right. You know, it's a, that's it's right. That yeah, being as cool as them. So,
0: Dominic and Dominic and Tom will be very, very proud of us. <laughs> Well, until until next time, we hope that you all continue to be well and be safe, and we will talk to you later. All right. Cheers, guys.